This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Great Gildersleeve was a radio situation comedy broadcast from August 31st of 41 to March 21st of 1957. Initially written by Leonard Lewis Levinson, it was one of broadcast history's earliest spin-off programs. The series was built around the character Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, a regular element on the comedy Fibber McGee and Molly show. The Great Gildersleeve premiered on NBC in 1941 and it moves the title character from the McGee's Wistful Villa, er, that is, Wistful Vista, to Summerfield, where Gildersleeve oversees his late brother-in-law's estate and rears his orphaned niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy Forrester. The household always includes a cook named Birdie. Now, while Gildersleeve had occasionally mentioned his unseen wife in some Fibber episodes, in his own series, he is a confirmed bachelor. At the outset of the series, Gildersleeve administers a girdle manufacturing company. And later, and during the remainder of the show, he serves as Summerfield's water commissioner. The great Gildersleeve enjoyed its greatest popularity in the 1940s. Harold Perry played the character during its transition from the parent show into the spin-off, and later in four feature films. Gildy grew so popular that Kraft Foods promoting its parquet margarine, sponsored a new series featuring Perry's somewhat mellowed and always befuddled Gildersleeve as the head of his own family. Now, tonight's episode will be very timely, just a couple of fronts from now. Halloween, coming up. Halloween Party is the name of the episode. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese Company also bring you the Kraft Music Hall every Thursday night. Present each week at this time Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore. Now let's see what goes on at the home of the Great Doc Morton P. Gildersleeve. It's Saturday evening, the day before Halloween, and his niece is giving a dance. All afternoon, he's been rolling up carpets, putting extra leaves in the dining room table, carrying out furniture, and carrying it in again. But now that the heavy work is done, he finds himself brushed aside. After an early makeshift supper, he wanders forlornly out to the kitchen to watch last-minute preparations there. Oh, what are you making there, Bertie? Frosting? Yes, sir. Say, that looks mighty good. Do you mind if I just... Oh, come on. Uh, uh. Mr. Gildersleeve, a man can lose a finger that way. Mm, mm, mm. It's wonderful, though, Bertie. Say, don't you think you've beaten that about enough? Ain't sure if it's stiff enough. Oh, well, I'll just see. Oh, Lord, really? Just tasting it, my dear. Mr. Gildersleeve, if you keep tasting, there ain't gonna be frost enough to put in your eye. Who wants it in his eye? 
you'd like to put a little on a piece of bread now. Oh, Lord, go out and play. Yes, go out and play. Brady, don't you think it's about time we took another peek at that cake? Cake? I'll do it. Stay away from that oven. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Gilsley, but you want that cake to fall? Uh, I was just trying to help. Run along, Uncle Lloyd. I'll look at the cake, Brady. You either. If some of the people don't get out of this kitchen, I'm going to go clean out of my mind. Bertie, I was just Well, talking. you more trouble than all the rest of them. Yeah. Want me to fix a party? You got to give me a chance. I ain't no Superman. No, sir. All I got is two hands. Can't come in here talking yeah. dirty. Come on, Marjorie. I think Bertie wants to be alone. Let's go in the other room. After you. <laughs> oh, Leroy, for heaven's sake. I am Frankenstein the Wolfman. I eat up little girls. Let go. I walked with a zombie, the undying monster, the living dead. Stop that and take off that mask. It's only me, Unc, that I scare you. Yes. I don't know how you expect to scare anybody. You've been going around that rig scaring people for a week. Well, I'm just practicing being horrible. You don't need any practice. (laughs) Uncle Mort, you make him promise to keep away from my party. I just know he's going to... Oh, oh, that's probably for me. Don't worry, glamour puss. I wouldn't be caught dead at your party. Hello? Is that you? No, it's me. Oh, I couldn't tonight, Lester. No, I'm sorry. No, I couldn't possibly. Why don't you tell him you're giving a party and he's not invited? Shut up, Leroy. Let her alone, Leroy. Pardon the interruption. Brad again. Go on, tell me all about it. I don't know what kind of a Halloween party this is anyway. No games, no pumpkins. What did you used to do on Halloween, Unc? Oh, we did a lot of things, my boy. Made jack-o'-lanterns. Bob for apples? Pretty corny. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Well, uh, <laughs> we had one little trick. Yeah? What was it? Well, we used to take two buckets of water. Yeah. And when it got dark, we'd put them on each side of somebody's front walk, and we'd tie them together with a piece of cord across the walk, and then when somebody came along, well, you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's great. Uh, it was a very thoughtless, wicked thing to do, Leroy. <laughs> I hope you will never do anything like that. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean it. Somebody might trip and hurt themselves badly. Remember that. Yes, sir. There's one other thing to remember. What's that? Only fill the buckets halfway. It won't work if they're full. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Go to the door, somebody. I'm on the phone. Well, get off it. I'll go. Oh, I've got to hang up now. Goodbye, Lester. Yeah, so much for Lester. It's Wally Hawk. Uh, Wally Hawk. Well, the kid himself. Hiya, Junior. What are you supposed to be? Frankenstein. Oh, blow me down. Talk to Wally, will you, Uncle Mort? I'll be right down, Wally. I've got to run up and put on some lipstick. What for? It's coming right off. <laughs> ah, yeah, take these records, will you, son? And don't drop them. Got a couple of real oldies there. Red nickels. Gosh. Uh, uh, Mr. Hawk, my name is Gildersleeves. I'm Marjorie's uncle. Oh, hi. Heard a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you, too. Favorable, I trust. Anybody tuning tune his so-called piano lately? Young man, that's a Wembley. Oh, not bad. Hey, Wally, I can play a boogie bass now like you showed me. Look. Hey, that's not it. Look out. I didn't do it right. Let me just... Look out. Let me at it. Like music, Mr. Gildersleeve? I like music, yes. Mr. Hoff, would you mind telling me something? Not at all, shoot. That sweatshirt you're wearing, is that customary these days at dances, I mean? What else? In my day, we wore tuxedos. And we didn't wrestle, we danced. Oh, your day, your day. Your day is over, Uncle Mort. Yes, yes, I guess it is. Well, don't stop, Wally, give up! What'll it be, gorgeous? Oh, anything at all, only give. The party's dying and it hasn't even started. Uncle Mort, I don't want to be... 
be rushing you, but the gang will be here any minute. I can take a hint. Well, take Leroy with you. I have to see if Mrs. Ransom's doing anything tonight. Maybe I will, and maybe I won't. Oh, that's it. Play that. On with the dance. Let joy be unrefined. Oh, brother, even in my... Come on, Frankenstein. This is no place for us. Wally Hoff. Here, swell piano player, Unc. You stick to Bach. That sounds like Piggy. Hey, Pig, wait up! That's your signal. See you later, Unc. Wait a minute. Yeah? I won't ask you to keep out of mischief, Leroy. Just keep out of jail. <laughs> okay. Where are you going, Mrs. Ransom? Never mind. Run along. Hey, Pig, wait for Frankenstein. Nobody's going to tell me what I'm going to do. If I want to call on Leela, I will. If I don't, I won't. Just hope she's in, that's all. Who's style? Boof. Yeah. Throckmorton, you mustn't do that. Yeah, but it's Halloween, Leela. No, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween. I know, but they're celebrating it tonight. What are you doing, Leela? Well, I had this date for tonight, but at the last minute I was unable to go on account of a headache. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, perhaps some other time. Oh, I feel much better now. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Isn't that lucky? Will you go to the movies with me? Well, I don't know about tonight's Rock Mountain. I'm just scared to death of ghosts and witches and all. Oh, don't worry. I'll be with you. Uh, promise you'll stay close to me and protect me? I'd like to see the ghost that you get between us. <laughs> <laughs> Slight wait inside for all seats. Oh. He says they'll be waiting, Strong Martin. How many, please? How long will we have to wait, Miss? The next complete showing will begin at 9.53. How many, please? 9.53? That's half an hour, Leela. Do you want to wait? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, make up your mind. Oh. Stepping to one side, please. Keeping the line moving, please. Shutting the mouth, please. <laughs> Rock well, they can't push me around. Evidently, our patronage is not wanted here, Leela. Let's go somewhere else. I declare, Throckmorton, I've never seen some of so crowded. Why don't these people stay home nice? Well, I suppose we could at least drop in here and get a soda. Would you like a soda? I don't know. Would you? I don't know. Would you? Look, a little boy in a mask. Well, that's more like it. That's the first real sign of Halloween. Oh, well, what's that thing he's swinging around? Oh, that's a sock filled with flour. Oh, we used to have more fun with those. Oh, he isn't going to hit somebody with it. <laughs> what do you think it's for? Uh, hello, little boy. Uh, hello there, Sonny. What's your name? Uh, oh, cat got your tongue, huh? You're not Piggy Banks, are you? You're not going to hit anybody with that, are you, little boy? Yes, careful now. Careful how you swing that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you go away, I'll give you a nickel. Listen, if you hit anybody, look out now. If you're Piggy Banks, I'll tell your mother. Did you hear what I said? If you come near me with that, I'll... <laughs> come back here, you. I dare you. <laughs> Let me brush y'all, Frogmore. Well, I think you might show a little more consideration, Leela. Oh, but you look so funny, darling. Come on, let's go in and get a show. Well. 
Hello, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, good evening, Mr. Peavy. And Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, has it been snowing out? <laughs> no, it hasn't been snowing. The lady here would like a soda. Well, aren't you going to have anything, Throckmorton? I got something. Oh, well, if you're not going to have anything, I'm not going to have anything. All right. Soda for me, too. Chocolate. Chocolate, it shall be. How have you been, Mr. Peavy? Oh, just fine, Mr. Ransom, just fine. Uh, you two been out doing the town? Well, if you could call it that. Halloween isn't what it used to be, Peavy. No, Mr. Gildersleeve, it isn't. And maybe it's just as well. Why? And I remember one Halloween. Uh, Harry, it's a lucky thing we didn't all land in jail. Well, what did you do, Mr. Peavy? Well, you know how boys are, Mrs. Ransom. I remember it was a dark night like this one. I, it was out at old Mr. Thatcher's house. Probably old fellow. Maybe you remember the house, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, I remember it. Well, we'd planned this thing for weeks, and it was dark, as I say, so we appointed one boy as a lookout, and then we hid in the bushes till the coast was fair. Oh, yeah? Go on. And when we got the signal, we sneaked across the lawn. Yeah? We tiptoed up the front steps. Uh-huh. Crawled on our hands and knees across the porch. Yeah? And stuck a pin in his doorbell. <laughs> P.B., you didn't. Yes, sir, and I want to tell you, I got out of there just fast as my legs would carry me. P.B., I wouldn't have believed it if you hadn't told me yourself. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Gildersleeve. I, I didn't actually stick the pin in the bell myself. Oh? I stayed behind in the bushes. But if they ever found out that that pin came out of my lapel... It just came out of my you know what I'll think? No, what? I think we ought to have a Halloween party, an old-fashioned one where you bob for apples and stick pins and things. But it's too late, Leela. Oh, no, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween, really. We could have it at your house. But Leela... Oh, don't be an old killjoy. Now, who we have? Oh, you come, won't you, Mr. Peavy? Well, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to, Mrs. Ransom. You see, Mrs. Peavy gets a little nervous around Halloween, so I usually stick pretty close to home till it blows over. Oh, too bad. Well, there, there's Judge Hooker. We'll have to have the judge. Yeah, for laughs. Now, who else? Well, we ought to have another girl. Oh, do you think we need to? Um, for the judge. You know, the old goat likes to think he's Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, well, who can we get? I don't seem to know many women somehow. Oh, well, there's a Miss um, Goodwin, I think her name is. Goodwin? I don't seem to recall. Uh, I only know her slightly. Oh, well, how does it happen I've never heard you mention her before? Well, I say I know her. I've met her, that's all. She's the principal of the school. Oh, a school teacher. Yeah, a school teacher. Oh, well, that sounds perfect for the judge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, you know her, don't you, P.B.? Oh, yeah. She's perfect for the judge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> perfect for the judge. She can't be that perfect. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that she was... <clears throat> Thanks for the sodas, Peavy. <laughs> Gotta be running along. Oh, but Strockmorton, I've hardly finished. Gotta get going before the crowd gets out of the movie. Oh, gracious, how you rush again. Oh, forgot to pay. Peavy, did anybody ever tell you you talk too much? Why, no, well, I know. consider yourself told. Good night, Peavy. <laughs> Great Gildersleeve is ready for it, come what may. Leroy has carved a pumpkin, and Bertie has prepared some refreshments. 
Don't they teach you any poetry in school these days, Leroy? Oh, sure. I woke up in the morning and looked upon the wall. There was a flea and a bed bug having a game of ball. <laughs> Leroy, you didn't learn that poem in school. Oh, I did, too. Piggy taught it to me during geography. Yes. Bye, George. I'm going to ask your teacher to change your seat. I can see Piggy's a bad influence on you. I doubt if Leroy's doing Piggy any good, either. Oh, is that so? Who asked you to put in your two cents? Well, you're certainly just as bad as Piggy. I suppose his sister's been shooting off her big mouth. Leroy? She has not. Well, I can tell a few things about you and her and Wally Hoff. For instance... Quiet! I'm expecting guests here any minute. You think I want them to walk into this kind of a cat and dog fight? Well, he's ordered it. Stop it. Or I'll finish it. Well, I'll have this kind of goings on. Leroy, where are you going? Out on the porch. What for? Oh, well, that's all right, then. It's a very good idea. Make a cheery welcome for my guests. Well, what are your plans, Marjorie? Would you like to stay here and enjoy a little old-fashioned Halloween fun for a change? Oh, gee, do I have to? Certainly not, my dear. What were you thinking of doing this evening? Wally and I were going down to Brownie's Beanery for a while. Some of the gang's going to be there. Uh, I certainly dislike that boy. Oh, he grows on you, Uncle Moore. Why, George, you won't get a chance to grow on me. <laughs> Hi-ho. Well, I'll have a real Halloween anyway. I'll see how Leroy's coming with the jack-o'-lantern. Uh, real Halloween air. Gosh, dark as a pants pocket out here. Where is that kid? Oh, uh, Leroy! Hi, Uncle. <laughs> I didn't see you, Leroy. Confound it. How many times have I told you it's not funny to scare people? I wasn't trying to scare you. You called me and I... Well, all right, but be careful. Why haven't you lit the jack-o'-lantern? The, the wind keeps blowing out the matches. Nonsense. There's no wind at all tonight. It comes in puffs. Yeah. <laughs> well, give me those matches, and I'll show you how a woodsman lights a fire. Where's the woodsman? Just watch me. Okay. Say, isn't this Judge Hooker coming? Where? I don't see anybody. Oh, well, it may be at that. Hello, Judge. Hi, Gildy. Yeah, trust him to get here first. Hi, Judge. Hello, Leroy. Well, Scott Martin, happy Halloween. Am I the first one? Oh, no. Leroy. Yeah. Confounded, it, What's the idea? It wasn't my idea, Judge. But anyway, happy Halloween. Yeah. Just stand here by the fire, Judge, and you'll be dry in no time. Doggone that kid. <laughs> now, Judge, boys will be boys. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you put him up to it. Why, Horace. Well, you laughed. Well, couldn't help it. I'm always laughing. Now, cheer up, Judge. <laughs> Maybe that's my girl. Your girl? Miss Goodwin. What makes you think she's your girl? All right, I'm easy to please. I'll take Leela. Oh, no, you won't. Leela's my girl, you old goat. I'd rather be a goat than a hog. <laughs> Come in. We were just talking about you. I knew it. I could feel my ears burning. Yeah, they're still pink at that. <laughs> uh, let me take your coat. Oh, thank you. Oh, my, the house looks lovely. I think Halloween decorations are so exciting, don't you? I certainly do. Oh, good evening, Horace. Good evening, Leela. What a wonderful idea, coming in your old clothes. I just love old clothes parties. This is my new suit, Leela. Or it was when I left home. <laughs> what? What happened? Gildersleeve's little nephew played a Halloween prank that soaked me to the skin. Oh, how awful. That doesn't sound like Leroy's Rock Martin. 
It's my idea of Leroy. Oh, mercy. The judge might have caught pneumonia. Oh, don't worry about me, Leola. I'm a pretty tough old woman. Oh, why, let's forget all about it and have a nice Halloween. Uh, where's your lady friend, Horace? Miss Goodwin? Oh, she's not my lady friend. Not according now, to... Now, Horace, can't you take a joke? <laughs> <laughs> Seems to me I'm being asked to take a good many this evening. Uh... That must be Miss Goodwin now, Judge. Why don't you go and let her in? Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, what did Horace mean about her not being his lady friend, Frock Martin? Oh, nothing. Just his peculiar sense of humor. Ah. Uh, ha, good evening, Miss Goodwin. Good evening, Judge Hooker. So nice to see you again. Permit me to take your rest. Trock Martin? Yes, Leela? I thought you said she was a school teacher. She is, Leela. Well, she dresses like the school teachers in Esquire. <laughs> now, Leela. Here we are. Mrs. Ransom, may I present Miss Goodwin? How do you do? It's so nice to meet you. Good evening, Throckmorton. Well. Uh, hello, Eve. Well. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me, Miss Goodwin, and you were such old friends, Throckmorton? Well, <laughs> Since he's been on the school board, we've seen a good deal of each other, Mrs. Ransom. Ah, she. Well, well. <laughs> Nothing so much fun as a Halloween party, is there? Or is there? the right technique for apple bobbing, Judge. Oh. You have to follow the apple right down to the bottom and get your teeth in it. Oh, I could never do that. I'd ruin my hair. I wouldn't mind. Let me try it. Well! Uh, yes, I'll show you, Eve. Stand back, everybody. Wait a minute, Yelly. Wait a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, you will now witness a death-defying exhibition by Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, diving into one foot of water from the stupendous height of Six inches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Horace, you simply a scream. I declare I think you're funnier than Bob Hope. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Yeah, neither would I. Look, I'll show you now how to get the apple. How you doing, Gilly? Uh, Mrs. Rockmont, come up for air. You'll drown. Don't worry about it, Mrs. Ransom. He has wonderful breath control. Well... <laughs> You look exactly like a roast pig. <laughs> I know what we ought to do now. Let's tell ghost stories. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Eve. I know a real thrill. Oh, ghost stories never scare me. Well, it'll scare you if we turn out the lights. Turn off the lights, will you, Judge? All right. There. I'm still not a bit scared. Oh, uh, you will be. Once there was an old haunted house way out on the edge of a swamp. <laughs> there was a ghost in the house who was trying to find his murdered wife. And he used to go through the house every night at midnight saying, Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, I'm frightened already. Yeah, I'm a little nervous myself. Oh, poo. Uh, <laughs> well, one night some hunters were passing near the house when it got real dark. And not knowing the reputation of the place, they decided to spend the night there. So they went up to the door, 
And just then... Oh, Strock Martin, this is silly. I think it's fun. Uh, I know a game that's lots more fun in the dark than telling ghost stories. Uh, oh? Well, what is it, Leela? Sardines. I never heard of it. Never heard of sardines? No. Oh, well, the way you play it, one person hides in the dark, and then all the others try to find him. Or her. And uh, when you find the person, you don't say anything. You just stand as close to him as you possibly can till all the others find you. That's sardines. Oh, well, I can see it's got possibilities. <laughs> yeah, let's try it. Miss Goodwin, why don't you be the first to hide? Horace, I suggested the game. Now, you can hide next. Yeah, very fair, Judge. Go ahead and hide, Eve, while I count 50. Well, uh, I don't know any places, but... Oh, all right. All right. 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. All right, Eve, here we come. (laughs) Uh, Who left that chair there? <laughs> the judge is having a little trouble, too, I can see. What's <laughs> this? Now, Throckmorton. Who is it? You ought to know. What am I supposed to do now? Stand close to me. Huh? Can't stand any closer, can I? <laughs> What's going on here, anyhow? Hey, no fair turning on the lights. Gildersleeve. Now, Leela. Well, if I'd known there were this kind of people in the game, I never would have suggested it. Mrs. Ransom. Don't you try to shush me. I wonder if you'd mind taking me home, Judge. But, Eve, the party's just begun. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's all over. Oh, wait a minute. Leela, please. Eve, please. Leela. 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 Oh, who invented Halloween anyway? You don't understand. I understand very well, Throckmorton. Take me home, please. But they've all gone, Leela. I want to explain. There's nothing to explain. I turn the lights on and I find you pawing that school teacher. Leela, if you could just listen. Let go of my arm, please, Throckmorton. Will you open the door for me? Oh, God. Thank you. Now, do you want me to walk home by myself? I'll take you if you're really determined. Leela. School teacher. She must be a fine school teacher. Well, she is. Oh, that's right. Stick up for her. I'm not sticking up for her. She didn't do anything. I I thought she was you. Strathmorton, that's a ridiculous bare-faced fib. She's wearing Chanel number five, and I always use Shalimar. Well. Leela, <laughs> I don't know one perfume from another. To me, they both smell good. I don't care to hear any more, Strathmorton. Oh, oh, look out! <laughs> oh, my goodness. You can't leave me here in this. Wait till I get my hands on Leroy. Don't blame Leroy, Gildy. Happy Halloween. (laughs) 
Food is heard on this program with other direction of Rob Sweeten. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. This year, thousands of women all over the country are discovering what a special help with wartime meals is the product called Kraft Dinner. A box of Kraft Dinner gives them enough delicious macaroni and cheese for four people at only a few cents a serving. They get two boxes of Kraft Dinner for only one single ration point. And with Kraft Dinner, they cook that delicious main dish in just seven minutes. In every Kraft Dinner box, there's a special macaroni that cooks fluffy tender in boiling water and an envelope of Kraft Grated. With this handy Kraft Grated, you whisk cheese goodness through and through the fluffy macaroni in a jiffy. A very smart trick is to shape the hot Kraft Dinner in a ring mold for a minute or two, unmold on a platter, and serve with creamed vegetables or fish or a little meat. But just as is, Kraft Dinner gives you a mighty fine main dish. Try this seven-minute macaroni and cheese soon. At your food store, be on the alert for point-saving Kraft Dinner. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, up next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740, and in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. Time for a visit from Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. With the first three actors to play Johnny Dollar, uh, radio actor Russell and uh, movie tough guy actors Edmund O'Brien and John Lund, there was little to distinguish Johnny Dollar from other detective series at the time. Tonight, we hear John Lund in the lead role and in the episode, The James Clayton Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Hi, Chet Graham, Johnny. Who? Wake up, boy. Chet Graham claims New York Mutual. Oh, hi, Chet. How are things? Bad. Johnny, I have to make a little trip out to the coast on a phony claim. I'll be gone about four days, but I need someone to hold down my office while I'm away. Can you do it? Well, that's not my line, Chet. You know that. Well, make it your line, Johnny. Somebody has to be here. Look, you can live in my apartment. You can use my tickets to wish you were here. You can even take my girl if you want. New York's swell this time of year. Can't you get anybody there? Oh, everybody's got the flu or busy or something. When do you want to leave for the coast? I'd like to get out on the noon plane today. Well, I can be down there by 11. Good. We'll probably miss each other, but just walk right in the office and make yourself at home. I'll call you from L.A. Have a good trip. Uh, by the way, what does your girl look like? Even your best dream was never that good. Just leave her phone number on your desk. John Lund in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to New York Mutual Underwriters Limited, Rockefeller Center, New York City. Attention, Mr. Chester Graham, claims and adjustments. Dear Chet, you probably read some of this in the Los Angeles papers, but they don't have the whole story. Maybe they'll never get it all. I hope not. I found out part of it, stumbled into the rest of it, and I'm trying to forget all of it. The following is an accounting of expenditures during your four-day absence in my investigation of the James Clayton matter. Expense account item one, $14.35 transportation Hartford to New York, where, as per your advice, I walked in your office, sat down, and made myself at home. And where, 15 minutes later, I had a caller. Mr. Dollar, is it? That's right. The girl at the reception desk said Mr. Graham was out of town and that you were taking his place. Yes. 
Please sit down. Well, thank you, but I don't have time. I'm Miss Stebbins, Dr. James Clayton's nurse. He asked me to see you. I see. He gave me these policy numbers. He said that your company wrote these policies and that he'd like to talk to one of you. Well, certainly, Miss Stebbins. He can come by any time. No, you don't understand. Dr. Clayton can't get away from the office. We're terribly rushed, and I really should be getting back myself. He's there all alone. Well, do you know what it's about, Miss Stebbins? I... No. The doctor's been acting strangely all day. He had me cancel all of his outside calls, and then he sent me here. He said to explain that it was very urgent. I'm... I'm very concerned for him. The tall, pale brunette girl in the crisply starched uniform and cape was certainly concerned about something. She bit her lip, forced out a wan, unprofessional smile, and started to cry. I pretended not to notice all this as we got on the elevator and went down into the street. However, ten minutes later, when we arrived at a suite of offices in the Pelroy building, I had to notice Dr. James Clayton. He met us at the door. Most of his costume was medically correct, white coat and carrying a stethoscope in one hand. But in the other, he brandished a thirty-two Ivor Johnson. The safety was off. Oh, oh, it's you. Yes, doctor. This is Mr. Dollar from the insurance office. Claims investigation? Yeah. Oh, fine. Uh, Jane, this would be a good time for you to get some lunch, don't you think? Well, doctor, I have all of those lab reports to... No, go ahead, Jane. Like a good girl, I want to speak with Mr. Dollar alone. Of course, doctor, if you say so. Goodbye, Mr. Dollar. Goodbye. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Sit down. Very fine girl, Jane. She's worked for me a long time. Very fine. Do you always meet her at the door with firearms, Doctor? Oh, oh, this. Well, all I can say is this is a ridiculous mess. My life's been threatened by a man who has definite homicidal tendencies. This, I, I, I don't even know how to load it. <laughs> I look foolish, I suppose. A threat on your life, Doctor, comes under the heading of police business. I know that very well. And I would go directly to the police, only... Well, it is a delicate matter. You seem dubious already. No, just curious. Go on, please. Well, several months ago, I attended a patient named Florence Harmon. A thorough examination disclosed that her poor physical condition wasn't based on any organic disorder, but rather upon an emotional instability. Now, this, I finally discovered, was brought about by her marriage to an erratic, ruthless, ill-tempered man, Benjamin Harmon. I could only advise that she divorce him immediately. Well, that's somewhat extreme, Doctor. Are you always certain of advice like that? In this case, there's no other answer. I approached Mr. Harmon on the subject last night at his home. I explained that Mrs. Harmon's health, her very life, is in jeopardy. More is involved here than keeping intact a union which has... Nothing but legality is a binding force. I see. But uh, Mr. Harmon doesn't care for semantics, huh? Uh, He attacked me. If it hadn't been for the assistance of Mrs. Harmon and a servant, he might have choked me to death. When I left, he threatened me. Then you should have called the police. Yes, yes, I thought of that. But look, if if you approached Harmon in the right manner, Dollar, he might discard his ideas of violence. Well, you're the expert on homicidal tendencies, but... Best thing I can see for you is to prefer assault charges and have them locked up. I know all that, but it's for Mrs. Harmon's sake. Please understand, she's been through a shattering ordeal. Look, Mr. Dollar, would you would you go see him and talk to him? If you think he means it, really, then I'll call the police and prefer charges against him. The Harmon residence was in Westchester. A story and a half colonial with all the trimmings. 
There was a 51 Cadillac in the open garage and a 52 Ford station wagon in front of the house. Yes? This one didn't have a white coat or stethoscope, but he had a gun. What is it? Mr. Harmon? I'm Harmon. What do you want? Mr. Harmon, my name is Dollar. And Dollar, I'm like... huh? Get out of my way! Oh! Here, Mr. Dollar. Drink this. Easy now. Oh. Take it, please. Oh, you had quite a blow. Try a little more. It should make you feel better. What was... Who... Oh, you you can bring suit against him. Against us. You can do anything you want to, Mr. Dollar. He's just ungovernable. He could easily have killed you. You, uh... Mrs. Harmon? Yes. Your husband think I was the ice man? Oh, I don't know what he thought. I I just heard him yell at you, and when I came to the door, you were lying there, and he'd taken the station wagon and left. Why, last night, he even attacked my personal physician and threatened to kill him. I don't know what's gotten into him. You'd better sit down. Oh, that's getting better. Where'd he go? Heaven only knows. Mad. That's what he is, Mr. Dollar, mad. He's liable to do anything. I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared stiff. <laughs> I called Dr. Clayton, who promised to notify the police. It was about a quarter to six when I got back to his office. A broad-shouldered man in a tweed suit was in the reception room. Hi. You Dr. Clayton? No. Hey, uh, don't I know you? I was thinking the same about you. Uh, wait, Dollar? Yeah. Tom Bassman, Central Division. Oh, sure. How are you, Tom? Fine. Hey, you must be the one. What? This Dr. Clayton called downtown about a threat, said his insurance company had advised him to report it. That's right. Where is he? Well, he should be here, Tom. What's his nurse say? I rang the buzzer. No one around at all. What's this all about? A man named Benjamin Harmon's threatened the doctor's life. I met him myself. He's carrying a gun, and he looked dangerous to me. I just came from his house. He's still there? No. I better phone in and get a pickup out on him. When the doctor shows up, I'll get a complaint. Oh, Hello. Hello. Why, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Miss Stebbins. Is Dr. Clayton here? This is Sergeant Bassman. We want to see him ourselves. You're a police officer? That's right, miss. I heard him talking to you on the phone. Is anything the matter? Just want to see him. Well, goodness, he sent me out to pick up these things. He was here when I left. Oh. What? Perhaps he had an emergency. Well, is there any way we can find out? Well, if he had one, it would be right here on the pad, because I always have to know... That's funny. What? He's on an emergency call, 1213 Alessandro Street. Can I see that, please? Uh-huh. There's no name on this, Miss Stebbins. Do you recognize the address at all? No, I don't. The doctor just wouldn't take a random emergency call unless it were very unusual. This might be unusual. Dollar, how bad off did you think Harmon was? Mad. Had a gun. Cracked me. Plenty rough. This is in the warehouse district. Think we better go down there? I think so. have to be that vacant lot over there. This one's 1240 and the rest belong to that warehouse. Yeah. Tom. Hmm? That car. M.D. on the license plate? 
Yeah. It might be Clayton's. Yeah. That's Clayton's car, all right. He must be around here somewhere looking for 1213. Yeah. Well, let's have a peek. Tom. I see. He's had it. Is it Clayton? Yeah, that's him. Some emergency this was. Yeah. Now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. An hour of questioning in the neighborhood turned up two people who recalled hearing the shots. And one man remembered seeing a man who answered Benjamin Harmon's description loitering in the vicinity of a nearby bar earlier in the evening. Obviously, Dr. Clayton had been lured to his death by the murderer who had telephoned him, pretended to need a physician, waited till the victim appeared, and then shot him down. Expense account item three, $11.65. A good dinner, three martinis, tip, and thinking at Toot Shores. After which, I strolled over to the Pelroy building. Expense account item four, $5 even. Bribed watchman. Uh, I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Might lose my job over it. I appreciate it. But since you're from the insurance company, I guess you're all right. Just looking around is all. Too bad about the doctor. Nice fellow. Very. What do you think you'll find? A policeman been ahead almost an hour ago, poking around. You know if they found anything? Sure. Well, what? Doctor's emergency kit. Heard him say he didn't take it with him when he went out on that emergency. Yeah, don't be too long. The business about the emergency kit started me thinking. I opened Clayton's file drawer and skimmed through every patient's name from Abbott to Zabrowski. He'd been a thorough man, and from all evidences, operated an efficient medical office. However, he had no medical history in his files on Florence Harmon. There was nothing to indicate that she had ever been a patient of his. On the other hand, there was an entry a year before which showed that he had examined, treated, and discharged Benjamin Harmon as a patient. I think these two developments supplied me with all of the curiosity I needed for a while. Nurse Jane Stebbins' home address was duly noted on Dr. Clayton's phone book. Oakdale House. Surprisingly enough, on Oak Street. Special rates for nurses. Room 210. Oh, Mr. Dollar. How do you feel? Not too good, Mr. Dollar. I just got home a little while ago. They kept me down there pretty long. Do you want to come in? Thanks. I don't want to keep you up. It isn't much of a place, is it? 
You mean I haven't straightened it up for days, it seems? I'm sorry. Things like this aren't easy. I know. Don't apologize to me. Sit down, Mr. Dollar. Have they caught Mr. Harmon yet? No, not yet. Uh, Miss Stebbins, you worked for Dr. Clayton a long while, didn't you? Five years. Then you should be able to tell me who he was going to marry. Marry? Well, I didn't know. I have no idea. He'd already made arrangements for a honeymoon. Honeymoon? Look. Reservations on the Ile de France for next April. I found them in his desk drawer. Confirmed to Dr. and Mrs. James Clayton. Well? What difference does it make? I don't know. Seems strange that you've been with him for such a long time and didn't know about this. I... Or did you? All right. What about Mrs. Harmon? Well... Look, Miss Stebbins. Things are wrong all the way down the line about your doctor's death. About what happened before it. It'll come out sooner or later. I suppose it will. It's awful to say this, Mr. Dollar. But Mrs. Harmon was the only one Dr. Clayton saw socially. And she, of course, is married. Of course. And the good doctor advised her to get a divorce. He meet her when Mr. Harmon was a patient of his? Yes, that's right. They became friendly. But Mrs. Harmon was never a patient. No, never. Just her husband. What can you tell me about Mr. Harmon? Well, really, all I know is he came in to see Dr. Clayton a few times. Over a year ago, I guess. Then after... After he saw what was happening between Mrs. Harmon and Dr. Clayton, he stopped coming in. I sent a copy of his medical history to another doctor. But Dr. Clayton had been seeing Mrs. Harmon all this time. It's awful to say this now, Mr. Dollar. Doctor's dead. I'm no moralist. We're all human. It's happened before. Married people have been attracted by others. I'm tired, Mr. Dollar. Sure. Do you have any idea why I was called in today? At first, I didn't. I... Well, of course, it happened. The police told me about Mr. Harmon's threats. But I don't understand what you're trying to do. The police want Mr. Harmon, and what does it all mean? It means the wrong man was killed. Please, Mr. Dollar. I should have tumbled to it right away, but your husband fit the part too well. Now, look here. I've been through quite enough today with the police looking for Ben. I don't have... You and Clayton. I was going to be the star witness when the state tried him for shooting your husband. Whatever I said as a material witness would back up his self-defense plea and get him off on a justifiable homicide. Isn't that it? I tell you, I won't listen And you and the doctor would sail to France and live happily ever after. What's the matter? Wouldn't your husband give you a divorce? You won't listen. Go ahead. If you say it's that way, Mr. Dollar, and you know everything, I know you know everything, then it must be that way. Yeah, only it got fouled up. Your husband did shoot your doctor boyfriend after all. Get out of here. Get out of my house. You can't prove anything. You're right, Mrs. Harmon. I can't prove anything. Not a thing. They catch your husband, they'll put him away for it. But you have something to live with for the rest of your life. Or maybe you didn't really love your doctor after all. Get out! Get out! Leave me alone! Leave me alone! What? Well, that's it, Sergeant. I want to know if people can really get by with this kind of thing in our courts of law. 
If and when you pick up Benjamin Harmon, will he have any kind of defense? Oh, we'll get him, Dollar. The others, I can't answer. What you just told me is really a thing. I don't see how any lawyer can do much for a guy who threatens another man's life and finally guns him down, do you? Supposing I could prove that Harmon was being set up as a patsy, that the doctor was really supposed to gun him down and plead self-defense. Up to the judge and the jury. When we get Harmon, he'll be arraigned and indicted on first-degree murder charges. Don't worry about that. And if it goes that far, it generally means you'll get the works. After all, we're pretty sure he shot and killed the doctor. Hang up, Dollar. Huh? You still there, Dollar? Hang up or I'll blow your head off. Benjamin Harmon wasn't kidding. He was blazing mad, he had a gun, and I knew he wasn't afraid to use it. I was across the street when you left my place a little while ago. Fixing up another deal, were you? I don't know what you're talking about, Harmon. I followed you here so we could have this talk. And we're going to have it, you and I. You ought to put that gun away and let him take you. They'll shoot you down if they see you. Nobody's going to shoot me down, not yet. Now, where's your office? Hartford, Connecticut. I mean here. Where do you practice here? Come on. I don't practice anything here. My office is in Hartford. This apartment belongs to a friend of mine. I'm standing in for him here while he's out of town. Where's his office? New York Mutual Liability. I mean his law office. I want to get down there and see how much... Hold on now. I'm not a lawyer. My friend's not a lawyer. We're insurance investigators. Where's the office? I tell you, we... Listen! Clayton called me this morning and said a lawyer named Dollar was on his way over to talk to me about divorcing Florence. If you hadn't started swinging that gun butt around, I'd have told you why I was there. I think I know why Clayton called you and told you that, but I don't... You and he were trying to pull something to take my wife away from me. I know that much. You're wrong, Harmon. I didn't know anything about that. Nobody takes my wife away from me. Now, that's the kind of temper that got you in all the trouble you're in. Look, you can shoot me here and I'll be number two. But they'll get you real easy here. You know I didn't kill Clayton? How do I know you didn't kill him? You threatened him. Half a dozen people heard you threaten him. I have an idea why you did it, and you might have been right, but murder for any reason... Shut up! You're in on it somewhere. You know who did kill him, and you're going to clear me or I'll rip it out of you, Dollar. I'll rip it out of you! Why, you crazy... You... All right. Here. Try this. Go on. I'm tired of fooling with you. Now get on your you. feet. Well, you got one point in your favor. This gun hasn't been fired. Do you have another one? No. No. Here, take another drink. Now, you have a chance to talk to me right now. I don't think the police will be interested in much you have to say. I wanted to kill Clayton, but I didn't. I didn't. Nobody will believe that. I know I've got a temper, and I've tried to control it, but I didn't kill him. I'm not impressed with that. I want facts. Where were you when Clayton was shot? How do I know? I didn't know what time he was shot. Say between five and six today. I was out getting mad. Fried. Where? Who saw you? No. After after we met, I was so sore. I jumped in the car and went out and bought myself a jug. I know it sounds crazy, but I spent most of the time just sitting in the car down to the docks, just drinking and thinking and getting mad. 
I don't know what it was. I don't know when I walked over to the saloon, phoned Clayton. I told him I was on Alessandro Street and to come on down. I wanted to have a showdown. You mean you wanted him to come down so you could kill him? Maybe I did have it on my mind. I don't know. I waited an hour or so, but he never showed up. When I called back at his office, nobody answered. So I climbed back in my car, and that's where I heard about my being wanted for killing him. It was on the newscast. I didn't do it, Donner. I swear I didn't. The others I knew about, and I didn't kill them. What others? Florence always had other friends. I guess I don't love her anymore, but I don't know. Maybe I hate her for all of it. When a man doesn't let part of his life walk away from him. I wouldn't give her a divorce. If I had let her get away with it, it would have been too much for me to hold. Even though... <laughs> even though you didn't love her and you knew she didn't love you? Yes. That sounds stupid. Maybe. I loved her once. She loved me the way two people only love at certain times. Hell, no sense yet. I'm not well, Dollar. Clayton gave me a year. Another doctor, 18 months. Finished anemia. The two of them could have waited at least till I was dead, couldn't they? Couldn't they? I found some sleeping pills in your medicine cabinet, and I fed him a couple with some hot cocoa. He dropped off to sleep in your bed while I made some phone calls confirming what he just told me. Expense account item five, taxi fare. $4.05 back to Oak Street, to Oakdale House. Special rates for nurses. I thought you'd be back. I'm glad it's you. I think somehow you're the kind of man who understands things. I'll be a good listener. Go ahead. When I first started as his nurse, I fell in love with him. I guess it's an old story. Terribly old and corny. But then he met her. I heard him tell you all those lies today about treating Mrs. Harmon. I was out in the hall. Didn't have any idea exactly what he intended to do until I heard him call Mr. Harmon. Right after you left. He told him you were a lawyer. He knew Harmon was upset enough to attack me doctor was very good about knowing what people would do. I was here when Mr. Harmon called in tonight. Doctor took the call and wrote it down on the pad. I saw him put the gun inside his coat, and I knew he was going down there to shoot Mr. Harmon. So I followed him. He was walking around the dark looking for Mr. Harmon with a gun in his hand. I ran up to him and pleaded with him not to be crazy that she wasn't worth it. Then he said he was going to kill me, too. He struggled and the gun went off. I don't know how many times. Then I came back here and pretended I'd been down at the drugstore. I see. What's your first name? Jane. Jane, Dr. Clayton made all sorts of elaborate plans so he'd have a self-defense plea. But you don't have to go to all that trouble. You can prove self-defense. He had the gun. He was going to use it on you. I beg your pardon? I can help you, Jane. It'll go second degree or manslaughter, suspended. You didn't mean to shoot him, but he meant to shoot you. 
No. You're nice. But I can't get off. What? I guess they haven't found her yet. I killed Mrs. Harmon an hour ago. Expense account item six, same as one, transportation back to Hartford. I didn't spend any other money, Chet. I didn't meet your girl, and I didn't see the musical. I didn't go any place. I just sat in your office and looked at the walls for the next three days. I'm leaving this where you'll see it when you come in tomorrow morning. Settle up and don't call me for a long time. A long, long time, if you call at all. Expense account total, $56.35. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars John Lund in the title role and is written by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. John Lund can currently be seen in the Universal International picture, Just Across the Street. Featured in tonight's cast were Victor Perrin, Virginia Gregg, Joseph Kearns, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Every Sunday, CBS Radio's Bob Trout brings you a timely weekend roundup of world news. As a special eyewitness feature, an overseas CBS radio news correspondent flies in to give you an up-to-the-minute account of developments on his beat. Don't miss Bob Trout's World News Roundup Sundays on the CBS radio network. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Adventures of Sam Spade, followed by Suspense Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.